deer hunter, likes to shoot things. His relative, I work with one of his relatives, so I hear the exploits of shooting excellence. Uh, also has a, brings a southwest uh, or southern flavor to our congregation with some pretty fantastic cooking, too. So, Nathan, welcome. don't sound like I'm from Texas anymore. So I think you guys are uh, rubbing off on me a little bit. You know, Pastor Marlin uh, took the big wooden pulpit down. I think we needed more room on the stage after a while. And he was like, you know, I'm just going to put the little one on there. And I'm like, well, that's good for you because you speak every Sunday and you're used to it. But I kind of like a little bit more of a fortress in front of me. And uh, and now I'm taking my only defense down, which was this nice little mic. If someone threw one of those bolos, uh, you know, that would it would catch it before I got there. But um, I have the opportunity and the privilege of uh, being able to uh, bring the uh, morning message for you uh, today. I'm not a lot of a, a big sports fan, but uh, I do watch a, a game on TV every once in a while. And as you can imagine, my uh, favorite twins. Character? You shouldn't say character, right? What is it? Um, player? <laughs> when uh, we went to a uh, Twins game many years ago, there was this guy named Joe Nathan. And I'm like, I need that t-shirt. Because I, ha- I look like a real sports enthusiast. I had my twin shirt and it said Nathan on the back. Um, so uh, I get the privilege. I see Pastor Marlin likes baseball, so uh, I get to be the relief pitcher for him uh, today. So. Um, thank you, Amanda and uh, Hannah, uh, wonderful sisters in Christ. Uh, the uh, college president, when I had the opportunity to speak in front of the whole college, there was a great worship set, and uh, he got me up there, and he goes, son, if you can't preach after that, then something's wrong with you. Um, just what a great time of uh, worship, uh, realizing that our God is a uh, mighty fortress. Uh, our main text for this morning is going to be Psalm 46. Uh, so if you're, if, you, if you're turning there already, go ahead and turn there and put your finger in uh, that passage or mark it or put your little ribbon there. Uh, as we get into Psalm 46, I'm going to see if I can uh, give us a little bit of a... Uh, history lesson uh, on one of the uh, kings of Israel, one of my favorite uh, kings, uh, King Hezekiah. And I always liked, uh, I I studied through uh, the passage of, uh, you know, dealing with this historical incident and um, have a whole series of messages about King Hezekiah. Uh, but I always loved it because I, uh, I would tell my kids, it's like, well, you know, they would, they would uh, maybe want to talk back to their father. And I'm like, you can't talk back to your father. Hezekiah 3.16. And they would be like, so they'd go try to look it up. Um, and, of course, you know, Hezekiah is uh, one of the kings of Israel, but there is no book of Hezekiah. You have to go to uh, the book of Second Kings. Uh, chapter 18. So I'll have you turn there as we kind of uh, get uh, an introduction to um, what we are going to be uh, looking at today. Second Kings chapter 18, verse 1. 
I think it's helpful to get a little bit of uh, history, uh, and then I'll try to make the connection to Psalm 46 as we uh, as we get there. Second uh, Corinthians or Second Kings chapter 18 verse 1. Now it came about in the third year of Hosea son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years uh, in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. So at 25, Hezekiah becomes king. And I like Hezekiah because he is one of the godly kings of Israel. But even as a uh, young man... Uh, he loved the Lord, and we will see he had a kind of faith in the Lord that was unmatched. Uh, verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred, the sac- sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke down the pieces of the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan, um, the uh, nation of Israel had a problem with idolatry. And that's what is describing here. King Hezekiah comes to reign. He becomes king and he starts off with a revival and he starts tearing down these places of idol worship. So on the History Channel, when they can't find the uh, serpent, you can blame Hezekiah. Uh, Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. Uh, That's just a great statement of uh, the character of Hezekiah, which we're studying this morning. For he clung to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he uh, prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So, nation of Israel has a problem with idolatry. God warned them time after time after time. Right during this time, as Hezekiah is bringing this revival, uh, the nation of Israel was split into two. You had the northern ten kingdoms, and then you had the two southern kingdoms, which Hezekiah was ruling. He invited them to be a part of this, uh, of this revival, and uh, they refused and kept up with their idle ways, uh, with their idolatry, and the Lord God sent um, the Assyrians to wipe them out and take them captive. And Hezekiah, as a young king, watched as the northern kingdom, with its ten tribes of Israel, was taken captive and taken away. Now, he knew because uh, we find here at, in verse 7 that Hezekiah was uh, rebelling against uh, the king of Assyria. So it was only a matter of time before Assyria decided they wanted to come after King Hezekiah, uh, the nation of Judah and Benjamin, as they were together as well. Uh, we find that uh, he made provisions for this to happen. So he spent years... Uh, putting up fortifications, uh, strengthening the uh, cities around Jerusalem. I would imagine strengthening uh, the city of Jerusalem and its walls as well. So he knew that trouble was coming, and he did his part to prepare. Uh, And in the 14th year of his reign, the Assyrians began to come 
after King Hezekiah and the two remaining tribes of Israel. Amazingly, as they came through with their large army, I mean, you think world superpower, um, they came through and they plowed through all of his defenses uh, without any trouble, through the land of Judah until they were knocking on the very door of the city of Jerusalem where Hezekiah and the people were safely sheltered within the walls of Jerusalem. You guys have to know that I'm a little bit of a nerd with it when it comes to that because I also love the book of Nehemiah and, you know, back where they rebuild the, uh, the walls, that's later on, but uh, this massive fortified city, the city of Jerusalem. World superpower with uh, about a couple hundred thousand soldiers, their chariots, their spears, their bows, probably a few catapult thingies, uh, surrounding the city, and the people are inside. You can imagine that that would be a little bit of a difficult time, a time of trouble. Uh, yeah, but what did we learn about uh, Hezekiah as we just read in Second Kings chapter 18? He was a king who had a faith like no other in the Lord. He did not waver. He stayed faithful to the Lord, and I think that uh, that faith for sure was standing him in good stead through this time. He did his part. He tried to uh, turn the Assyrians back by offering to pay them a great tribute. Uh, Some scholars say that was a mistake on his part. Others are like, well, I don't know if it was or not. God certainly didn't uh, didn't, uh, punish him for that. But he tried to uh, offer them uh, a tribute of gold and silver. And uh, Sennacherib, the king, would not stop at anything short of their complete surrender. It's like, no, I won't take a, a, a tribute or a, a ransom from you to leave you alone. And the king of Assyria sent one of his generals to uh, frighten and uh, coerce Hezekiah and those within the city walls to surrender. Through that whole time the city was besieged, Hezekiah remained confident in the Lord. Uh, I look at that as that would be a, a big challenge. I uh, have a strong faith in the Lord, but uh, I'm grateful that God hasn't tested me in that way. With you know, like you got the world superpower outside the gates. Uh, he remained confident in the Lord. His trust in the Lord did not waver. He knew that the Lord, and in the Lord, he had a refuge that could not be taken, a secure fortress. The Lord, and that's why uh, I actually requested from uh, Amanda and Hannah if they would sing that song, uh, "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," and you'll see why. It's one of my favorites, but it is truly in Him that uh, that we can rest. Hezekiah trusted in the God of Israel. There was no one like Him. It says in the Scriptures. You can't imagine the pressure that they were under as uh, they were hurled insults and threats. There are uh, the, the, the general Sennacherib, that, or, uh, not Sennacherib, but Rabsaka, I think his name was, that came up to uh, the city gates and uh, tried to tell the people, Hezekiah doesn't know what he's doing. You should give up. God is on our side. And it's like, how, how in the world did you get to, to that leap, um, the general of Assyria? Um, but through it all, uh, they held fast within the city within the fortress which God had supplied. And then, if you're still over in uh, 2 Kings, 
Turn over, and you'll have to read this on your own. It's really an incredible story, all the way from 18 through the end of 19 in 2 Kings. But at the end of uh, 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 34 and 35, uh, we see that uh, the Lord actually allowed the army of Assyria to besiege the city and to rant and wave, rave for a while. But when uh, God was done with them doing that, um, he took charge of the situation, which we know as our sovereign Lord, he was in charge of it the whole time. And he sent one angel. How many angels did God send to uh, knock out the army of Assyria? One. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 34 and 35. It says, For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, And for my servant David's sake, says the Lord. Verse 35, Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in their camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose up early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. That had to be one amazing sight. Hezekiah was like, I knew God could do it. I have confidence and faith in my God. Uh, I am in the city of Jerusalem with its stone walls, but you know what? These stone walls are nothing compared to my God who is my refuge and strength. And just look at it. Can you imagine being one of the uh, guys up on the wall and the night watch on that morning I love mornings. You guys know every once in a while, Sarah and I uh, camp out at our little lake lot. And uh, at our lake, we don't get sunsets, we get sunrises. So uh, if you're lucky enough to get woken up as the sun is starting to rise, you just, it's just a beautiful sight of uh, all of a sudden you go from darkness to light. And they're standing up on the walls, the sun begins to rise, and they look over at this big intimidating army that was about to wipe them out. And the Lord's angel took care of every one of them. They were dead. You can imagine the great victory celebration that, first of all, those guys up on the wall that saw it first were doing. You could just imagine, like, yeah! Yay! Praise God! And then people in the city are like, hey, what's going on? That doesn't sound like the the kind of uh, things that we've been hearing lately. It's been more doom and gloom. Uh, It's like, no, look! Come and see! Many scholars believe uh, that Psalm 46 was written by either Hezekiah or someone else that had gone through this experience that we're looking at today. And when I read uh, Psalm 46, uh, just like Martin Luther did many years ago, what comes to mind is a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe to seek to work us woe, his craft and power great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. And then it goes on to say, one little word shall fell him. (laughs) Uh, We think our enemies are great, uh, but they have no idea our God is greater. Uh, Turn, if you would, to uh, Psalm 
6. And as I read through uh, the psalm, kind of think of this history story, this, uh, this account of King Hezekiah that we just uh, considered here. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains should slip in, uh, into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. I like that. Can you imagine that morning dawn in Jerusalem that day? God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Verse 8, Behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought desolations in the earth? He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. A mighty fortress is our God. Three things I, uh, I see here um, in this passage, and they're broken up by the, uh, by the word Selah. Verses 1 through 3, take refuge in God's strength. Verses uh, 4 through 8, we'll see that uh, we can take refreshment in God's supply. And verses 8 through 11, we'll see that we can take rest in God's Sovereignty. This year's been a difficult one, this past year. Uh, for our family, for Sarah and I, uh, it's been full of challenges. Of course, we had the uh, pandemic challenges, which were many. Uh, you look back at the last year, the uh, political atmosphere and social unrest has definitely been difficult. Uh, leading Habitat for Humanity through uh, all of this uh, turmoil and change uh, as a ecumenical Christian housing ministry has certainly been rewarded, rewarding, but it's also taken uh, its, uh, its energy to, uh, to keep that going as well. Sarah and I, both of our parents, are uh, kind of reaching those stages in life where they're uh, quite a bit older and are having health issues, which has been wearing. And on top of it all, you might have heard, our baby girl is getting married. So... <laughs> Oh my goodness, all of the changes that are happening in the Thompson household. There's been a time or two where I've, I've sat down and, you know, felt like praying, Lord, give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of <laughs> that Kit Kat bar. You guys know I like to eat, right? Cheeseburger. Um, you know, through all these difficulties, I am thankful that, uh, that you can go through the trouble because God is there with you. He is your fortress. So even though I might want to cry out, God, give me a break, it's more so, God, give me the strength and energy and refuge and supply, uh, the confidence to walk through this with you. 
Through all of these difficulties, I'm thankful that I have uh, the Lord to rely on. I don't know what Sarah and I would have done uh, throughout this last year without the stability, safety, security, supply. Remember, guys, in Sunday school, I told you I liked S's and alliteration. Supply that God has provided through this year. That's the only way I could still be standing before you here today. You know, uh, speaking of candy bars, when I'm about to melt away in a puddle of tears or explode with anger or fall apart like a spring dandelion that a little three-year-old goes, (laughs) I feel like every once in a while the Lord reaches down and is like, oh, wait a minute, Nathan needs Snickers. And there he goes. And it's not, uh, it's not one of those big Snickers that I like that's got the two that if I feel really generous, I'll share one with Sarah. Um, sometimes I buy them when I'm by myself. <laughs> but this one is, uh, is like the triple Snickers. Uh, God says, here, take this, Nathan, and turn to Psalm 46. Because I want you to take refuge in God's strength. I want you to take refreshment in the supply that I give in God's supply. And I want you to take rest in God's sovereignty. So first of all, take refuge in God's strength. That's these first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That refuge is a shelter from danger, a place that you go from protection. It protects you from the outside. Those that would hurl the uh, bolas at you and, you know, it's like, <laughs> I need more of a fortress in front of me here. But uh, it protects you from the enemy from without. They can hurl their spears. They can run around in their chariots. Uh, they can, you know, shoot arrows with their bow. But you are in the Lord. He is your refuge. Uh, it also says that he is our strength. God provides us that fortress, that strength from within as well. So we have our outside defense and we have what I have always told my three daughters, he gives us the intestinal fortitude that you need to make it through the day. He provides refuge and strength. So protected from without, strengthened from within. And both of these things come together then with the next phrase which is an ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present help in trouble. That's, that's, uh, God is our ever-present help. He is accessible. He is there. Um, I'll read this passage to you, but in Second uh, Chronicles 15, uh, verses uh, 1 through 7, in that passage there, it's uh, King Asa. It says, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, and he was found by them. So he is an accessible help. If you turn to him, he is there. He will be found by you. you know, I have one of those recurring dreams that uh, the bad guys are breaking down the door. Uh, we mainly lock our door when we're asleep at night so that we can hear if someone comes in. During the day, it's kind of like, well, if they're going to come in, they're going to come in anyway. But you have this dream, like someone's breaking down the door. And it's inevitably that I have a hard time, like, where did I put my firearm? 
And it's like, is it here? Is it there? Did Sarah move it somewhere? <laughs> that does happen once in a while, but not very often. Uh, and then if, if, if I land my hand on my gun, the next thing that my dream goes to is like, where is the, the ammo? And today you can't find ammo anywhere. So if you have it, you better be holding on to it. Um, but that's, that's this dream I have. It's like, it, but God is an ever-present, available, proven help. You aren't going to have to, well, I mean, you aren't going to have to search and find. If you call for him, he is there. He is abundantly able to do what we need. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, verse 7, uh, God is being compared to what other people have in other nations. And it says, what other nation is so great to have their gods, these other nations' gods, near them, the way the Lord God is near us whenever we pray to him. Our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It also improve, uh, it implies that it's a proven help. I mean, our God is the God of the universe. Uh, we can rely on him. You remember, well, I don't remember because uh, I was born in 67. That sounds old nowadays, but uh, not really. You have to, like, when you put your age on the phone, you have to spin the dial. Um, but I'll stop that because I'm still, I'm still fortunate enough to be younger. Uh, in the 50s and 60s, people were building uh, bomb shelters for nuclear bomb shelters, but they had no idea if it would actually work or keep you safe. One of my favorite scholars that writes about the Psalms, his name is John Phillips, and uh, in his book, as he was uh, opining on Psalm 46, he describes his childhood uh, growing up in Britain during World War II when the German planes were coming over and bombing London. And the first few times that the siren sounded, he said, his dad took them downstairs, took the family downstairs, and they got underneath the kitchen table. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that was what they had to do at that point. But they realized after a day or two that houses were exploding and that that wasn't uh, really that safe. Um, so he, he describes his dad, you know, they got some shovels and the kids dug a hole in the backyard, put some metal plates over it, and then put the rest of the earth from the hole on top of the metal plates. And that was their bomb shelter. And he said, it was good enough for anything except for a direct hit. And I was like, yay. Because with my luck, <laughs> right? Um but that is not the kind of shelter that God provides. He is a proven help. We know he can withstand attack after attack. He can destroy the enemy. We saw that just a little bit ago. It is because of this that we rely on him and take refuge uh, in him no matter what difficult situation we may be under. No matter the trouble or the tight spot, we can rely on the Lord You know, John chapter uh, 10, turn there if you would, uh, put a little sticky note on Psalm 46, John chapter 10, uh, 
verse 25, we could start with. Jesus uh, answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the work that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. But you do not know because you are not my sheep. My sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Talk about that faith walk. And I give them eternal life, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. I like those words. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's starting to get the picture here, so you're sheep. And uh, Jesus has you in his hand. Uh, We could sing the song, he's got... In his hand. So Jesus has you. You're his sheep, and he has you in his hand. So let's keep reading. Verse 29. My father who has given them to me, the sheep, is greater than all, Jesus says, and no one is able to snatch them out of what? Are you starting to get the picture? You're in Jesus' hand, which is enveloped by God the Father's hand. Our God is such a refuge. Uh, Sarah's mom, who is now uh, suffering from some memory issues, she was she's just a great Bible scholar, a tremendous uh, woman of God. Uh, she uh, grew up in a religion that was very works oriented. So you know you kind of had to like work your way for salvation. Uh, it was a very scary thing for her because you never knew when you were going to mess up, and then you you would. Uh, You would not be the Lord's anymore. And so she described it like this. I was so tired and exhausted of holding on to Jesus so that I wouldn't lose him until I realized that he was holding on to me. And that relationship changed everything. The Lord is our refuge. Um, if you read uh, here back to Psalm 46, a couple of things with uh, verse 2 and 3 here. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Like, you know, the earth is what's supposed to be stable. And we saw in Florida that that's not always the case. Please be praying for those folks down there, that building that collapsed. But it's very disconcerting when the earth begins to shake. God is our refuge through natural disasters. Verse 3 here, uh, we go into, uh, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, a lot of times in the, uh, in the Bible and in the Old Testament, the raging seas are kind of references as well to um, the pagan nations that would rage against the, uh, against the nation of Israel. God is our refuge, and he is a sufficient present help through natural disasters and what I would call national disasters as well. Uh, this world can do the things that this world is going to do. The governments can go uh, and, and rant and rave against the Lord, but God is our refuge. This psalm assures us that God can handle it in his will, in his own good time and way, things which seem to be total disasters to us. He has it. He is in control. 
The next thing we see in verses 4 through uh, 7 is uh, this idea that we can take refreshment in God's supply. Um, We can take refreshment in God's supply. That's uh, verse 4 here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at daybreak. The nations in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the river. This is a constant flowing live stream. Not just a creek which has a flash flood every once in a while and is done. But it is a constant flowing river, a living thing. When I read through uh, Psalm 46 here and I realize God is our refuge, uh, we can rely on his strength. And then I come to this section. When you're in a fortress, and we learned this over the last year. How many of you guys bought freezers, brought free, freeze-dried food, bought generators, bought, bought ammo? Um, you know, I know uh, my buddy uh, Scott Dane bought a 1973 Ford pickup truck because um, it has condensers and points and doesn't have computers. So, you know, if you go through an MP, what do you call that, magnetic, whatever you call it. Anyway, all the preppers really uh, got into the got into this stuff. But if you're going to have a fortress, you need to have supplies. And we see here as we get into uh, Psalm 46 that God is our fortress. But then uh, you have this description where you can almost see like God is also that river that brings us the living water and refreshment and supplies that we need. We have that relationship with him. This isn't just bricks and sticks of a fortress, but you have that idea of relationship. Let's go back to uh, this uh, historical drama that's happening with Hezekiah. Hezekiah knew that the uh, Syrians were coming, and the city of Jerusalem had an unending water source in the spring of Gihon. The only problem is the spring of Gihon was a couple thousand feet outside of the city walls. You see what the problem is? You get 200,000 Assyrians, and the, the, the flowing water is couple thousand feet away from the wall. So when he was doing those years of preparation, he realized that spring was exposed and he diverted the flow of the spring of Gihon into an underground conduit, 1,700 feet through solid rock. They dug a tunnel and uh, that water flew into uh, what we know and see in John chapter 9 as the uh, Pool of Siloam where the blind man went to go wash his eyes, that's the pool. Hezekiah diverted, well, probably with God's wisdom and advice there, that spring so that within the city walls, they had a refreshing, flowing river to keep them supplied. What a great uh, kind of picture of God's relationship with us. You know, there is some personal responsibility with that because, uh, as you guys know, you can lead a horse to water... But you can't make him drink, right? So the spring is there and we have to take it in. 
We have to be active in our relationship with the Lord and have that communion with Him. And what's the one thing that will break off that communion that you have, that assurance, that blessed assurance that you have with the Lord in that relationship? What is the only thing that really kind of like makes that not effective? It starts with S and ends with N. Sin. Again, with the personal responsibility thing, uh, can you imagine if you were um, little Nathan in the city of Jerusalem, Assyria's outside, they've besieged things, and uh, and Nathan is eating a banana. And uh, he peels his banana and he's eating it. And then when the banana's uh, done, a nice refreshing banana, um, little Nathan just tosses it over his shoulder, and where does it land? In the pool of Siloam. And Hezekiah looks down at Nathan, and he's like, what are you doing? You, you had to keep that pool clean and maintained. Keep the trash out of it so that you could enjoy God's bountiful supply. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High, verse 4. And then the, the next verse is, kind of notice the, uh, the, the emphasis of God is with them. You have this uh, relational aspect. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And the, na- the nations made an uproar against the, and the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. How can you survive those disasters, either man-made or natural? How can you not freak out? It is because you have an ever-ending, refreshing supply given to you from your relationship with the Lord. God is with us. You know, uh, you can do a word study of uh, God is in the midst. There's a lot of places in the Bible where you can see God is with you. God is in the midst of you. Uh, One of the ones I'll point out today is Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. The Lord is with us. God is present in every believer as a river that provides refreshment, cleansing, satisfaction, and sustainability. John 7, 38, He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Philippians 4, 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And if you think you have any excuse that's like, no, I don't have what I need to live the Christian life, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You have the supply. You just have to take advantage of it. And a lot of times we forget when trouble comes. Um, one of Sarah's favorite psalms is Psalm 121, which says, I will look up to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. You know, when you get into trouble... Greg knows. I call Greg. It's like, I need something to have that. Like, Greg, can you come help? I need you on this day. And he's like, well, let me check. You know, or the car breaks down and you're like, ooh, I, I reach for my phone. Who can I call? AAA or whatever it might be. 
you know, you reach for your wallet because, you know, money will solve all the problems, right? Um, we tend to look around everywhere when trouble comes except for up. And we need to realize that uh, we have a refuge in the Lord, but he is also a river of rich living water and supply for the Christian life. So, one last thing that we have in the last few verses, verses 8 through 11. Uh, really, the theme here is God is the one that's in control. Verses 8 through 11 says in Psalm 46, Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolation in the earth. He makes the wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He is the one that burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving, God says, and know that I am God. So the third takeaway here is take rest in God's sovereignty. God is in control. He is the one that can handle the issue. Take rest in God's sovereignty. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth. Just look out at a starry night in northern Minnesota and you'll see what I mean. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That is who is on our side. Uh, there's a story of the pastor who uh, this uh, one of their congregation members asked the pastor if they could take them to the airport on Tuesday. And the pastor is there, like, I'm really afraid of flying and kind of nervous about it, so I'd like for you to pray with me. And, you know, and also, you don't work during the week, so I figured you could take me. Um, so the pastor was, like, very gracious and uh, just prayed, prayed with the person as they left him at the airport. And then, of course, they had to pick, they were like, can you pick me up on uh, next Wednesday because, you know, you don't, you don't work on, on Wednesday, just Sunday. Um, and so when the person got back, uh, pastor was like, so how did it go? I mean, I prayed for you. Uh, were you able to be a little bit more confident on your fear of flying and everything? And, uh, and the person said, oh, yes, I felt much better. Um, and, you know, it, it really was uh, this issue. Let's see if I can get these chairs apart. Yeah, there you go. It really was this issue. I figured it out, the, uh, the person said, when I was sitting on the plane, and it was getting ready to take off. You know, you feel that big rush of power and everything. All I did was I didn't put all my weight down. And I felt like, you know, in, I, didn't, I didn't put all my weight down on that plane. I saved a little bit myself. You know, when, when we try to rely on ourselves through difficult situations and forget that God is in control, it's that ridiculous. I, I got this, Lord. Uh, no, you, you don't have it at all. You need to just rest on my sovereignty. I am the ruler of the universe. I got this. So that's the, uh, that is the idea there. The command here starts in verse 10. Uh, it's, is, um, well, actually, there's a couple of commands. In verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. So the command is to, to see, to acknowledge. 
You don't have to do a whole lot. Just open your eyes. Your, your, your mouth might drop. Your chin might drop at the sovereignty of your God. In verse 10, cease striving and know that I am God. The command here is to come and see. This is not a lot of activity on our part. Uh, we behold, uh, we are in awe. We are to rest in God's sovereign control over every situation in our lives. And then uh, the command here is also to stop. It's not just for the believer, but it's for the unbelievers that are around fighting against the Lord as well, raging against Him. Stop long enough so that you can recognize that the God of the universe is in control. And maybe you need to stop hitting your head against the fortress and give up your control. Accept the Lord as your Savior and let Him be your refuge as well. Isaiah 45, uh, starting at verse 21, says, uh, And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. And this is the word, before me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we can go back to the New Testament and finish that out, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you're finding yourself fighting against the Lord, hitting up against that refuge wall instead of being inside of it, if you've been striving in your life and uh, really fighting against the Lord versus resting in Him and His supply, the command here is to stop. Just like Jesus commanded the waters uh, when He was on the boat with the disciples, He was like, cease, be still, and those raging waters just, poof. And then He says, recognize who you're fighting against. Turn to me, because in the Lord you can take refuge, you can take refreshment in God's supply, and you can take rest in His sovereignty. So that's a great reminder. If you know the Lord, sometimes we uh, need that reminder to uh, where does our strength come from. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you realize that uh, you've been striving against Him, maybe now is the time where you need to stop and see what God is doing in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this Sunday morning. I thank you for our church family here in the Evangelical Free Church of Embarrass. Lord, you are our refuge and strength. In our relationship with you, we have the the wonder of being resupplied and renewed day by day. No matter how tired we get, Lord, you are helping us through the situations that you have us in. You are in control. You are giving us what we need. All we need, Lord, is to have faith in you, our sovereign Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.